Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Well, I'm going to start right off uh, this morning just talking about and bringing up our homework, okay? And so my hope is that you participated in the homework that we had for this week. I asked everybody to read at least once at some point during this week uh, Romans 7 and 8, okay? Two chapters of the Bible for you to read at some point during the week. And we sent out social media things for you to kind of see how you could break it up day by day if you wanted to. Uh, but ultimately, in my Bible, it's like two and a half pages that you had to read somewhere in this entire week. And so my hope is that you participated in that. And so we're going to follow the same trend that we did last week and uh, let you kind of make some noise about whether or not you participated uh, in, in our homework. So if you read Romans 7 and 8 this week and you participated in our homework, would you make some noise right now? Go ahead. Awesome. Awesome, I love it. I love that, that you participated, that's great. We've got more homework this week, all right? Um, and, and it's a little different homework than we've had the last couple of weeks, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. But uh, I had, uh, we'll call it opportunity this week. I, I had to climb a fence this week. Uh, and I think I did that without looking too clumsy or too awkward, although there's no video footage to prove one way or another. But one thing that I thought of when I was about halfway over the fence is that I don't climb fences like I used to, okay? And there was a time when I was a lot younger that no matter what the fence was made of and no matter how high the fence was, you always kind of attacked a fence the same way. You would run at the fence as fast as you possibly could and jump as high as you possibly could. And then you just reached out with hands and feet and at some point they were gonna grab. And once they grabbed, then you hoist yourself up the rest of the way, probably in one move, and get to the very top of the fence and get your feet on the bar or on the top plank or whatever the case might be. And then you're kind of right over. It's kind of a two-step process and it takes just a second or two to get done. Any fence. What I did took much longer than a second or two. But what I'm talking about and the way that I used to be goes back to that time when we used to climb trees all the time. And when we climbed trees, you didn't have to navigate how you were going to climb the tree. You didn't stand at the bottom of the tree and kind of look up and start thinking, well, I can get on that branch and then I could probably get over here. No, you just went for it and you just climbed a tree. I mean, that was the era. Okay, there, there was a time in my teens, in my early 20s, when, when I just crashed through any kind of limits that were supposed to be there, and I didn't care what those limits were. And, and I kind of, it was a time when, when we kind of felt as though we were made out of rubber, and so nothing was really going to hurt all that much, and we would get over it and move on. But somewhere along the way, at some point, and I can't exactly pinpoint where it was or what happened, but I started to care about bumps and bruises and scratches and scrapes and breaks and twists and sprains. And it had an impact on my fence climbing skills. And in fact, it's been more than a decade now since I've ever climbed a tree. But at one point, those were activities that had no end. At, at one point, those things weren't even partial barriers in life. I'm convinced that, that boys are, are filled with 
uh, wind in their sails that just makes them more courageous and, and more bold and, and more brave um, until somebody tells them to stop. They just kind of keep going after it. And, and the reason that we tell them to stop, because it's always an adult that tells them to stop, the reason that, that adults find them fearless is that we're still at that stage where if we have to cross a small creek that is really a step across, we're still hoping there's somebody that we can grab a hold of with the hand to keep our balance the whole way across. Okay, we, that's who we become, and for good reason. Because we know that our bodies are becoming more and more fragile as our bodies age. Now don't try and tie these two things together. Your homework for this week is not to go climb a tree or to jump across a creek or to climb a fence. But if you see that opportunity, give it a try and make sure the video camera's running because I want to see it. But my point is that our boldness and our bravery has diminished over time. And we aren't quite as rubbery as we used to be. And that's fair, and it's actually pretty logical that we have wisdom that says, okay, I'm not gonna try and do the things that I did when I, I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s. I, I can't, can't put my body through that anymore. But what's not logical is how timid our steps of faith become over time. See, for those of us who are here who, who have been followers of Jesus for a while, it seems as though there, there comes a time when we look back and we realize that we're, we're not quite as bold as we used to be. And we don't speak up like we thought to speak up before. And especially in America, followers of Jesus are kind of marked by passivity because we don't take risks anymore and we don't stand up uh, for things that are specifically about our faith anymore. And metaphorically, we don't find ourselves climbing trees or hopping over fences in our faith. Now again, I just wanna be clear that I'm not asking you to become reckless with your body this week as part of your homework. Okay, I'm still the guy that if I sleep too long on a really good mattress but I'm in the same position the whole time, I'm sore the rest of the day. I get it. But that's your physical body. Our boldness with our faith should define who we are because of the gift that we have been given by God. The gift of grace and specifically what we talked about last week, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to look with me. We're gonna be in the book of Romans in chapter eight today, and particularly, we're gonna be at the end of chapter eight. So if you've got your Bible, whether it's digital or physical, open up Romans chapter eight, and near the end of the chapters where we're gonna be, we're gonna start in verse 31, and Paul has this to say about who we are because of God. He says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's what Paul's saying. Well, why in the world? 
Would you be passive? I mean, this should send shivers up and down our spine here. When things seemed hopeless, God shows up and God swoops in with grace that comes through Jesus Christ and through the sacrifice of Jesus, the whole history of mankind has been given or has been presented with the gift from God and saved by grace. And the power of God that Paul tells us about here in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, is unquestionable because of what that power is stronger than. What God did through Jesus proved that God's power is stronger and has power over death, over sin, over the law, even over Satan. And God, who is powerful and is that aggressive, has promised us not only to save us and then like leave us behind to fend for ourselves. No, his promise was, I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to be with you for everything else that you go through because the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. And because of the Holy Spirit, God can go to work in your life. Going back just a couple of verses in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The gift has been given, and if you take it, and if you accept it, what you accept is the gift of grace and forgiveness and mercy, but it doesn't end there. God wants to go to work in your life and through the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what he does. He wants to go to work in your marriage. He wants to go to work with your debt. He wants to go to work at your job. He wants to go to work because he loves you and he cares about you in education and he wants to go to work in your life at school. He wants to work in your life in every aspect, in every part of your life. The gift from God and the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life didn't stop when you received forgiveness and grace and love when you accepted the gift. It didn't stop there. That would have been enough. But because we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps us to know and helps us to receive continued blessings for the rest of our life. And if we are continuing to receive blessings because the Holy Spirit is in our life, in every moment of our life, then it should show up in how we wear our faith. We shouldn't go into hiding. We shouldn't pretend like we're not part of the, the, the followers of Jesus on all the other days of the week except this one where we get to kind of be excited about it and be around people who believe as we believe and we get to be passionate here. It's really the difference if we embrace all of this. It's the difference between knowing that God is with you as a last resort if everything else doesn't work out and knowing that God is with you as a first option for what's going on in your life. I mean, if, if the kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead is just waiting to get involved in your life, 
then why in the world do we choose to be passive about our faith and what we believe? In our relationship with God, the way that God saved us is by going through the excruciating death of his son. So in doing that, the gift that God gave us, the, the, the payment that he made was the death of his son and all the emotion that goes along with that. And if his efforts for us didn't know limits to back off from even giving up his son for us, then why do we think there's any boundaries for us? I mean, if he's proven that he's willing to give the greatest gift that he could possibly give, then really, why wouldn't he give all things to us through the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit is, is there for us. And, it, and, and if the quality of God's gift giving has already been established through Jesus, okay, he gave Jesus up for us. That's the quality of his gift giving. If that's the quality, then there really shouldn't be any question about whether there's an, an end to his quantity that he's going to give to us. The Holy Spirit is with us to step in, to show up, to speak up, to gear up in our life whenever it is that we are going to be willing to let him do that. Let me show you a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit is. And it shows up in places beyond the book of Romans. We're going to go back, back into the Old Testament and back deep into the Old Testament into the book of Judges. Now in Judges, there's, there's a moment where God's chosen people, the people of Israel, they don't have a king. They weren't supposed to have a king. God was their leader, but they would kind of fall away from following after God and they'd get themselves in a mess and then eventually somebody would kind of be threatening them and they'd cry out to God and God would raise up somebody as a leader who trusted in him who would kind of direct the people back to God and the people would thank God for that and kind of follow God for a little while and then feel pretty good about themselves and then they'd start to fall into some other things and then they'd get trapped by somebody and then they'd cry out to God and God would send somebody else who would come in and kind of lead them out of the mess and back to God. It happens over and over and over again in the book of Judges. One of those judges we read about in Judges 15, and in Judges 15 we get a, a glimpse at one of the truly superheroes of the Bible, and Samson. And there are some amazing, incredible, powerful stories about Samson. There's, there's a lot of Samson's life that's given to us in a short period of time. Uh, Judges chapters 13 through 16 is where Samson uh, appears, and we know a lot about Samson, but it all happens in just those four chapters. But in that time, in the, the time of Samson, we have a moment where Samson is actually the whole time in conflict with the nation of the Philistines. Now just understand what that is. It's not that there is the nation of the Philistines who are in conflict with the nation of Israel and it's nation against nation. The entire nation of the Philistines is in conflict with one man named Samson. And they attack each other over and over and over again to the point that eventually the Philistines, they just want to come after Samson and get him and kill him. And so they come to the people of Judah, to the nation of Judah, and they surround Judah and, and they, they just surround this tribe with the army of the Philistines. And in doing so, 
the, the people of Judah are terrified. And they're so frightened that this whole army from this nation is going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And then they find out that this, this army, thousands of people, are only after one man. They just want Samson. And so once they find that out, the people of Judah go out to the Philistines and they said, hey, we'll give them to you. Just promise us that you won't hurt us in the process. Bunch of cowards. So the people of Judah, that's Samson's own people, sent 3,000 people to go get Samson. Okay, they're kind of frightened by Samson too. And the 3,000 find Samson and they, they have a conversation and Samson hears what's going on and he tells them, look, I'll go with you to the Philistines and you can tie me up as long as no one from my own people tries to kill me. And they agreed. And that takes us to Judges chapter 15, verse 13. Here's what we read there. It says, so they bound him with two new ropes and they led him up from the rock and as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. Now, stop the story right there, because this is the point I, I want us to hear. If you, if you fell asleep during my description of Samson, come back with us here, okay? Because this is the important part. This is the part that connects with what we're talking about today. Here's how the story keeps going. It says this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And the ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the binding dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it, and he struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them all. And with a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. You get what Samson's actually saying there, right? We don't have to, like, explain the euphemisms that are here. Okay, you get that? Okay, we're going to move on. Here's the point. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's not a different character in the story of us. The Spirit of the Lord that came upon Samson is the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about this last week, that the Holy Spirit was not an add-in addition to the story kind of later on, the Holy Spirit had been part of the story the whole way through. And the Holy Spirit is part of our story. Now here's the lesson that in Sunday school, if you grew up in church, they probably didn't tell you when they told you about Samson. That the same Spirit of the Lord can go to work for you. that the same Spirit of the Lord is available to you. The power, the boldness, and I would add the saltiness of the Holy Spirit has always been part of the story. Okay, so staying in the Old Testament and staying in the book of Judges, the story continues on, and the Old Testament is full of this truth where the Spirit shows up. Israel needed leaders all the way through the book of Judges. Starting in Judges chapter 3, we read this, that, that he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel. And it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and Othniel went to war. 
And then the spirit of the Lord, a little while later, came upon Gideon, and Gideon went to war. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Guess what he did? He went to war. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And the first thing that the teenager shepherd boy did when the spirit of the Lord came on him was to go out and challenge and kill a giant in the middle of the valley because he was opposing God and God's people. And he went out to take on the giant with one-on-one and a slingshot because he was filled with the spirit of the Lord. One more example, but we're going to come forward. New Testament We know Jesus. Many of us are comfortable in our understanding of who Jesus is and was. We know Jesus to be a great teacher, the one who showed compassion and love to the forgotten and the despised. He healed, he wept. Multiple occasions he would show his sensitive side. But there were other parts of Jesus too. There were times when Jesus had a righteous anger. And most of us have an understanding that when we think about that, there's probably one scene that we often go to if we know the story of Jesus. We think about Jesus in the temple flipping over the table of the money changers because those people were, were cheating people uh, with the offerings they were supposed to give and that these people were trying to make money in the temple in, in what they were, were selling and they were cheating people. And we remember that part of the story, Jesus just going in and flipping over tables and trying to drive people out. John tells the story a little differently, just adds one little wrinkle. If you want to look it up, it's, it's in the Gospel of John, near the front of the Gospel of John. And John records that before all of that happened, Jesus sat down, and in an act of premeditated aggression, he started to build a whip out of cords. He started putting the cords together and getting them just the length that he wanted and he started the handle and get that handle just really comfortable in his hands. And then he used that whip to make his point on all the merchants that were cheating people in the temple. And it says that Jesus was going through the temple, swinging that whip around and shouting, get these out of here. That's not the sensitive side of Jesus. That's not the Jesus wept Jesus. That is the power of Jesus, taking a stand filled with the Spirit of the Lord. We we may not find that we need to go attack the camp of the Philistines, or that we need to go and challenge and, and take down a giant in the valley, but living for God Living life in the Spirit certainly gives us ample opportunities to be bold, to know that we have these continued blessings in our life, but to also have that salty resolve in us. Because I believe that's exactly what Paul was trying to tell us in in Romans chapter 8. He asks a series of questions that are questions that seem unanswerable, except the questions themselves kind of have the answers built into them. And that the series of questions starts with uh, something we've already read back in verse 31. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
But he goes on in verse 33 and continues on and says this, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, nobody else. Who then is the one who condemns us? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Man, the same Holy Spirit who would, in moments that it was necessary, show up and help the heroes of the Bible rise up with a salty resolve is now the same Spirit that is constantly, consistently, continually dwelling in your life. And he is providing you with a path in the big moments and in the small moments of life. Now that, that's a game changer for understanding who you are as a follower of Jesus, as someone who has accepted the gift of God. It is a game changer for how you approach everything. But to kind of further seal this understanding of this resolve and this boldness that should exist in our life, Paul poetically and unmercifully solidifies how unflappable our position with God really is. And it's at the close of Romans chapter eight, he kind of finishes off the chapter with these words. He says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we've been talking about risk-taking. We've been talking about boldness. And we've been talking about the aggressive nature stuff that is waiting inside of us because of the Holy Spirit, waiting to show up whenever we're willing to let that happen. But the engine that drives all of that, the engine that, that, that drives boldness, the engine that's all about these continued blessings that we continue to receive, the engine that's all about that salty resolve that we can have, what Paul makes beautifully clear is that all of that comes from an unbreakable love, a bold, courageous bravery that's willing to take on a nation, ready to take down a giant, ready to go to war, ready to take on the crooks, ready to, to look death in the face. That kind of fearless faith exists because of the love of God that never stops and never even slows down. Now, if we can be convinced like Paul that there is nothing that Satan or this world can throw at us or can throw at God that could ever begin to take his love away from us, then why wouldn't we jump at the opportunity to be bold with our faith? After all that God has done for us, after all that God has proven for us before now, and knowing that the blessings just keep on continuing. 
Those verses that we just read, the, the end of Romans chapter 8, is a, a pep talk. It's a pep talk in the locker room from Coach Paul. It, it's there that he fires us up and sends us out into the world ready to, to live life in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God like David did, like Gideon did, like Samson did. But later on this afternoon, or this evening, or tomorrow morning, we won't be in the comfort of this locker room right here anymore. We will be face to face with the world that has so often made our faith passive. So what do we do differently this time? What do we do differently to let this pep talk get traction in our life? Well, when fear threatens to take over and cause our faith to go into hiding, remind that fear, and in doing so, remind yourself that you have continued blessings in your life that come to you from the God of the universe. And because you have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, there is this salty resolve in you, no matter what your personality is, that is galvanized by the unbreakable love of God. That was the place that the heroes of the faith were before you. They were bold, they were brave, they were fearless, fence hoppers, creek jumpers, tree climbers of the faith. And when your faith follows the Spirit of God, you can be there too. Which takes me right to our homework for this week. This week's homework is a lot shorter, a lot shorter, and not near as easy. Instead of reading through a whole bunch of chapters of the Bible, our homework for this week is just two verses. But instead of reading those verses this week, I want to challenge you to memorize these two verses. You've got all week to do it. Two verses of the Bible for you to memorize. And these two verses just so happen to connect with everything that we've been talking about on who we can be. Because the verses, they start with the word therefore. And the reason that the word therefore is therefore is because everything that Paul has talked about before these verses, he's saying, look, because of all of this that I just explained, therefore, this is who you are. So here's the verses. We're going to jump forward in Romans a little bit. And I want to challenge you to memorize Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But before you get to memorizing it, I'm going to ask us to read it all together. And so I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me right now. 
The words are going to be on the screen. And we're going to read these words together, and then I'm going to pray. Here we go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your forgiveness and your grace, but we are astounded at the continued blessings that you pour out on us and your willingness to um, continue to be involved in our lives in moments when we don't pay attention to your spirit in our life, in the moments that we don't lean into your spirit as the heroes of old once did. God, would you help us to know the advantage that we have that you are constantly, consistently with us guiding us and directing us. And if we would trust that and believe in that, we would not be passive. We would be bold with our faith. We would be willing to help other people know what we know and experience the grace and the love and the mercy that is part of our lives. And we thank you for that. Would you help us to step into the valley? Would you help us to not be afraid of the army of the enemy? Would you help us to be who you created us to be with the power of the Spirit of the Lord in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.